season four, episode five of the final frame is here. Right around Christmas now, and we're about three weeks, four weeks into the college basketball season. College football playoff just came out yesterday, but we got even bigger news starting tomorrow. The NBA season is finally here. I don't even know if I should say finally. It's only been like 75 days since the last time we saw NBA basketball, but it's it's back, and finally we get to see all 30 teams. Dan, how how you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, the shortest, shortest turnaround in games ever in American sports history. So uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how we – how spoiled we are after that long drought, that long wait to get basketball back the first time. And like you said, we wait 70, 75-ish days, and then we get it again. And so it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers and Heat only have, I think it's like 70, yeah, 71, 72, 73, some, something like that, days off, which is, as you said, the shortest in history. And then, like, you got teams like the Warriors, Hawks, who have been off for nine months. They haven't played a game since mid to early March. So it's kind of going to be interesting, and I really don't know what to expect because obviously you can't put too much into what you see in the preseason because it's kind of more, yeah, it's for the players, but, like, these rookies didn't have summer league. The coaches are figuring out rotations. We just had free agency, like, two weeks ago. We barely got that. So, like, I feel like the early part of the season might be just sluggish. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get – the the you know for some teams you're gonna have it being sluggish because of the short layoff and then you're gonna have the teams that didn't make the bubble or had a short stay at the bubble are gonna have even more will have had you know for the for the worst teams I mean you, it's nine months between games and even for the teams that had their short stay in the bubble like the Suns playing eight games and then going home I mean it's eight games in the past nine months. So, you know, there's going to be some sluggish stuff, but I think, you know, in the world of, of medicine, modern medicine and recovery and, you know, there's, there's going to be rest days. There's going to be days where when these games are not on national television, there's going to be a lot of resting. And this is the year to do it because there's no fans to say, Oh, I, I paid money to go see so-and-so because obviously there's no fans in the stands. But early on, you're going to see a lot of that, you know, a lot of maybe play two, sit one, play one, sit one, depending on who it is uh, and their injury history or just how much they've been playing over the past calendar year. So, you know, it's going to happen. It's just inevitable. And you just got to roll with it and see how it goes. And, you know, it, the fact that we're playing, you know, that's one thing that I think we've now that sports have come back for, you know, since the end of July with baseball and then basketball, you know, now we're a little bit more spoiled where we were in that six month, five month period where we had no sports and we were just looking for any sort of sporting event. Now we're kind of getting back to the swing of things. I think we just got to be happy that we're playing basketball. Oh, I'm, I'm thrilled. Fans are not yet. Yeah, like the bubble in Orlando made it like look a lot better because you didn't have all these empty bleachers in the background and everything. So it's going to be weird. Like I'm going to go watch the Celtics on Tuesday night or Wednesday night against the Bucks, and the place is going to be empty. I'm going to be like, what is this? But then at the same time, I got to be like, man, I'm watching Celtics basketball. Like what else, what could go wrong? So it's like, as you said, kind of just like give or take, like you said, we, had nothing and we were starving for sports from March till basically the end of July. And then from the end of July all the way through, we have had something every single day and it's been great. So it's kind of just going to be like, all right, well, if the fans can't be there, you know, then it just becomes like, all right, like let me watch the game more as like a, not even like a scout, but you can figure out things a little more because you can hear things. Like you can hear in football, you can hear the quarterback, the quarterback audible. Like last night, if you were watching 
the Giants-Browns, Colt McCoy was – you can literally hear him screaming at the line of scrimmage, making changes at the line. And then you can hear for NBA, like, you'll be able to hear defensive calls, people talking and whatnot. So, like, it gets you a little bit more of, like, what actually goes on in the game besides just what you see on TV because you're normally not able to hear all that. Yeah, I mean, it gives you it gives you a new perspective on just how – bigger role fans play, you know, when I think it was, I don't remember where I heard it, but you know, false starts and, and, you know, delay a game in football, the penalties I think have been down drastically simply because there's no, you know, when you're playing on the road, there's no loud fan base that is calling that is, that is shouting and screaming and you can't get your, your snap count down that you have to burn a timeout or take a penalty or somebody's not on the same page. That's not a thing this year. And furthermore, I mean, in the playoffs, there's no home field advantage. So how valuable really is that as we get down the stretch of, of the regular season and get into the playoffs? How many upsets are we going to see in the NFL playoffs? Is it like how big a role is this going to play? Uh, which is something that we've obviously never seen before. So that's going to be another factor. And I guess you could say the same goes for the NBA once it comes back with their with their regular season, although it's not a huge thing. If anything, home court advantage is more a factor in college basketball. But, you know, even that, I mean, we've still seen upsets and close games that really shouldn't be close games. I think that has to do with the fans not being in the stands. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Like, like you said, using like the NBA as an example, last year, the Sixers were so good at home and atrocious on the road. But what is them going on the road now going to mean? It just means getting on a plane and then getting back on a plane and just playing in another empty arena. It's not like they have to listen to these heckling crowds night in, night out. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just the thing. I mean, it's it's the, it's those little things that you, you kind of don't really recognize when things were at normality and there were fans and the game just kind of carried on. Oh, that's, that's just the nature of the game. That's how it goes on. And – now that it's not there, you recognize it's, it's magnified even more because now it's, you take it out of it and you just realize how big a difference it makes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, before we get in to this upcoming season's preview, let's talk a little bit about what we saw in the off season. So from the time the Lakers won the title in the bubble and LeBron got his fourth ring to tomorrow where the season begins in Brooklyn – for the Warriors versus the Nets. Man, in a short offseason, there was still a bunch of moves. Stars moving. Role players getting traded three times. Like, a draft. Like, we had a lot, a lot of turnover. So, I don't, obviously, we don't want to go through every move. There's way too many to do that. But just give me, like, two moves. We'll start with on the positive side. Two moves that you saw in the offseason – that you think really helped a team? Well, I'll go, I'll go, I guess I'll go two to one team. Uh, and, and that's Atlanta Hawks. I think one of the things that they needed was maybe to expand their depth a little bit, have a little bit more experience. The shooting, I guess you could kind of say was a little lacking outside of maybe Trey Young, Kevin Herter kind of wanted to see them be able to stretch the floor a little bit more. And, the, the, two, the top two people that they brought in are the definition of spot-up shooters in, in Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari. Um, the question now becomes, is there too, are there too many capable bodies on the Hawks? Did they sign too many players? But that's a good problem to have. You know, worst comes to worst, you make a trade, you maybe sell a, a lot to get a, a, you know, a superstar kind of player over to Atlanta. But, I mean, right now they're positioning themselves to – to make a run at the middle of the pack in the East. Obviously you have Milwaukee, Boston, Miami. Um, Philly's probably going to be up in that mix too right now as they stand with their team. You know, they're still going to have a say in the playoffs, and whether it's as a four seed or maybe if they get in toward the bottom as a six or a seven seed. I think that this team, this is the year we finally get a chance to see Trey Young and what he can do in the postseason with the team. That, like I said, as Kevin Herter, the two guys that I just mentioned, Clint Capella as a pure rebounder inside, that team I think is very complete now with everything that they did from before the, uh, before the offseason, 
getting Onyeka Okongwu in the draft and then signing these two guys, I, I'm high on the Hawks this year. Yeah, I got to say, before I even go, just the Hawks, man, have killed the draft recently. Trey, go from Trey, not even Trey, John Collins to Trey, then to DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. And then this past year on Yekka, as you said, who I love as a prospect. I think the guy's great. You trade for Capella, and then you sign Danilo, you sign Bogdan, you sign Rondo, who is going to be huge for that team off the bench. You have Herder already, too. That's nine, ten guys deep that you can go and who are more than serviceable in any playoff series. For me, though, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be obvious, but, like, dude, I think I got to go with Chris Paul. Like, I don't think there's a better landing spot. And we've ta- we talked about this before, like, off air, on air. Like, Chris Paul really helped himself this past year in Oklahoma City. Like, nobody really wanted him when he was leaving Houston. He didn't really want to be in Oklahoma City. And he brought that team to the fifth seed in the West. And now everybody wanted him, and I th- he can make any team better. But, like, I think Phoenix is such a good spot for him. They were just on the brink of playoffs this year after the 8-0 bubble. They have these young wings, this emerging star in, in D-Book. You have Aiton down low, who Chris Paul is going to feed in the pick and roll. And then not only do they trade for Paul and only, yeah, they traded Ubre, but they went eight and zero in the bubble without him. Ty Jerome didn't really provide much to the team. You lose a couple picks, but then after you get Paul, you go out and get guys like Jay Crowder. You get guys like Jalen Smith in the draft, Etwan Moore and Langston Galloway shooters off the bench. Like they built that roster to make a run. And I, the West is an absolute gauntlet. Like, it is so tough night in, night out. There's not an easy game. You might even think Oklahoma City's an easy game, but you know they're going to fight like crazy every night. But uh, I just can't help but think, like, seeing Chris Paul in a backcourt with Devin Booker, like, it's going to make such a difference. He's not going to have to dribble the ball as much. He can play off the ball. CP's going to help on the defensive side as well. And then he's just a straight-up leader on the court. Yeah, I think I think the main question going into last year was that the trade from Houston to Oklahoma City was kind of the all right, now you're beginning to ride off into the sunset of retirement and you know, you're you maybe sign a one year with someone like New Orleans or LA to kind of oh, go back to where you were in your prime. And then he leads them to the, you know, to the 6 seed to a seven game series with the Rockets. You know, like Ultimately, that is that kind of showed just how valuable it was. And plus, going back to the Suns, I mean, them going eight and zero without Ubre probably solidified the point that hey, we can maybe do a little bit of switching around, and we're still good. I mean, we still have the, a, a good foundation with guys like Aiton and Booker and and uh, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. You know, like that core is strong, and all they needed. I feel like we have been saying it for years that all they needed was. A, a solidified, proven point guard. And I don't think there's any point guard that I think will thrive better in the system than Chris Paul. Not having to shoot a whole lot, really not having to shoot at all with all the weapons you have. You can, the floor is spaced by pretty much going, you know, four out, one in with eight in the middle, pick and roll with him. You have shooters all over the, uh, across the wings. I mean, this could be another year where we could see Chris Paul maybe get back up toward that 10 assist you know, uh, per game kind of category where he was in his prime. I don't think he's in his prime anymore, but I just think with all the weapons that he has, if that system works the right way, that's going to be a very potent offense. No, yeah, it's, it's going to be something to watch. And it's just like, as you said, it's kind of like now like a nice, a nice mix of all these young guys who are ready to win. They experienced it a little bit in the bubble. And then, as I said, like, they signed all these proven vets. Crowder's going to help so much. He's going to bring that toughness, like, the energy to them. And, of course, Chris Paul is, like, the ultimate winner. So, now, like, kind of going on the flip side, what move did you see that, like, you were like, oh, like, 
yeah, this one stings a little bit. I mean, to be honest with you, it I, it has to be Gordon Hayward. I just I still don't really understand the the you know you had Nick Batum, which was just an awful contract three years ago. You're toward the end of that. You know, you, you're at a point where you could wave him, eat the contract, free up a roster spot at least. But then you kind of go back and do the exact same thing again, and you handcuff yourself for another four years, thirty million a year for a guy that, you know, in his prime could give you 20 a night, but the last time we saw that was four years ago when he was fully healthy, didn't have a broken ankle in between that, uh, you know, was was not stuck behind three or four options in Boston. So it could just be a change of scenery is what he needs, but I just think the money value is is something that when you have young guys such as, Miles Bridges, Devontae Graham, you, you draft LaMelo Ball. So you're thinking, all right, you just kind of built through the draft because the Hornets, I think, have, have done really well in the draft the past couple of years, well, especially I, getting Devontae in the second round. Like, they're, they've been in a place in our recent memory. Like, they don't, they don't tank, but they don't make the playoffs either. They're just, like, in that state of, like, mediocrity where you draft in 12 or 10 to 14 every year. And in the past couple of years, they've done really well in those spots. P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, finding Devontae in the second round, even like signing a Rogier-type guy. Like you, you built a decent foundation, but I don't understand why you go out, not only sign Gordon Hayward, but sign him for $30 million for four years. That makes no sense to me, and you're just – then you draft Lamelo, as you say. You're, you're just like kind of just stunting the growth of all those young guys because Hayward's a guy who needs the ball in his hands. But then you're trying to fight for the playoffs because you don't want to be at the bottom. But the Eastern Conference continues to get better, so you're still going to be stuck probably in like the 10th seed and just hope to make the new play-in tournament at this point and hope that you catch lightning in a bottle for that game and Devontae goes to like 35 and you can win and maybe go to the 8th seed and just get the crap beat out of you by Giannis. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, the, East is, the East is kind of slowly becoming a point where it's, it, it was weak. It was weaker, I should say. But now it's kind of hitting a bit of an upswing in terms of talent, and now the Hornets are kind of stuck on a, you know, we gotta we gotta make some move and increase, maybe get a couple more wins. But you know, thirty million a year for the next four years for a guy who just turned thirty and hasn't produced the way he is he can produce in five years, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if he went there and. It was for like eighteen million, let's say. Like I'd be like, okay, like he understands, like he's taking a reduced role, but like they literally were like, You're a max guy. Here, take all the money and run. I mean, and then on the Celtics side of it, you you just get a twenty eight million dollar trade exception, which you have to use within the year. Because if you lose that for nothing, oh man. Yeah, it it that's kinda like a you know, I, I don't really – I think the fact that some Celtic fans were upset that Gordon Hayward left initially was they had the right to be upset because they weren't getting anything for it. Originally, when it was reported, it was not a sign-and-trade. It was just a straight-up opt-out sign somewhere else. And now you're thinking, all right, we let him walk for nothing. And then it comes along that you do get a trade exception and – it's a big trade exception, obviously, with the money that uh, biggest, biggest one in history. So now it becomes, you know, it's it's essentially a free player, you know, pretty much outside of maybe a three players or four players who who make more than above that. I mean, you got to go out and do something, even if it's pick up one or two solid options instead of a big option, or you package that trade exception in with some picks because we know the Celtics have been very hesitant to give up picks in the past, but now their rotation is at a point where 
they can afford to do that. And, you know, you wouldn't be giving up too much. So, you, but bottom line is you got to use it this, this at, at some point. this Yeah, season, right? it's only good for like a calendar year. Yeah. And so, so I think I think Danny has to use it. Yeah, he'll string something together where he'll use some of it or, or he'll find a way to use it. I know, yeah, we, I mean, we were together when the Hayward news broke and I was livid because I was like, we're not, what are we getting in return? We're literally just about to let that guy walk for nothing. But I mean, then it came out that we were getting the money and it was okay. And obviously you don't know what's true and what's not. Who knows? Like if the Celtics could have got Miles Turner and Doug McDermott, if Ainge was being a little greedy and he was like, yeah, I kind of want TJ Warren or Oladipo to join the team, but the Pacers didn't want to do that. So if the end all is someone in the Celtics are like, all right, we got to improve this roster. And as you said, Atlanta's the perfect option. Like, damn, we got so many bodies down here. Mm, Capella's not really fitting. Let's, let's use that exception, get him to Boston. But like, that could work. But that's just all speculation so for me i'm gonna say the biggest loss of the offseason is one team two guys same position i'm gonna go north of the border to to toronto the loss of serge Ibaka and marcus saltami is a killer you lose both of those guys who have been huge pieces in this past two-year run that they've put together and I love I like like the Aaron Baines signing a lot, but I just don't think he's going to provide you. Yeah, he can shoot the three, but he's not going to be as effective as Ibaka was down there, and he's not going to be as effective as, as the both of them were on the defensive side of the ball. So I feel like you're putting a lot more into Van Fleet, Lowry, who's getting older, and Siakam you're putting a lot more into them on both sides of the ball because the loss of the center position is going to hurt you. And you net, you could end up having to go even like extreme small ball at times where you're rolling out a lineup of like Lowry, Van Fleet, Norman Powell, uh, Ananobi, and then Siakam at the five, if you want to go extremely small and that just, like Siakam would get killed down low. Like I so skinny down there. So like, I just don't understand what like the Raptors theory was in that. And I know, like, I know the guys, they got like decent contracts, but like, it wasn't anything extreme. So yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think certainly losing two players from a team that was what, third seed last year, second seed. And the fact that it's the same position hurts you even more because now your depth is – that position is just completely shot. And you got to kind of see what you got. Yeah, they, they scrambled to get Baines. And then you had to re- – they re-signed uh, Chris Boucher to be the backup. Which, which, don't get me wrong, I think Boucher did pretty well in the bubble and, and kind of down the stretch before the shutdown. But – I mean, Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka are glue guys, locker room guys that, you know, were proven. And whether you're going through ups or downs, they were going to kind of be the leaders in that locker room. So it's, I think it's more of a cultural change rather than a production change. So, you know, but at the same time, I think a lot of people just kind of saw Toronto the past couple of years, pretty much since, you know, just mostly last year and, and going into this year, that they're kind of just like, all right, they're, they're like a fake top team in the East because, like, they can't really compete like with the big boys now because they don't have that star power. If Kyle Lowry is their best player, Fred Van Fleet, I mean, that's really not eye candy to NBA fans right now. So um, this could be the beginning of their decline, which may end up being a middle of the pack to bottom of the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoffs. But you know, they're still going to be in the picture. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I can see that. I just uh, – yeah, I think you're right. I just don't see that – like last year they were the two seed. The year before that they were the two seed. Like I don't know if I can see that again. And as you said prior, like the Eastern Conference is getting better by the day. So it's it's going to be tough for them. But, hey, they got a championship, man. So, like who cares at this point? 
Yeah, I think if you ask if you ask any uh, if you ask any person, any Toronto Raptors fan, they will not complain one bit given what they have accomplished over the past two three years. Agreed. All right, let's move on to the twenty. 2021 season, basically the 21 season. I mean, what are we playing four games in 2020? But we'll take it. So, where where do you want to do? You want to start like team prediction wise, or do you want to start like individuals? I don't know. Wherever you want to go. I don't know. I think we're gonna hit everything anyway. So, well, yeah. I'll I'll go, I'll go individual. So let's let's kind of start with like the awards, and then I'm sure that'll spark something. So we'll jump right to it. MVP, where you going? Oh man! I mean, I I honestly think this is the year that Luka Doncic cracks through. That's the that's the popular bet, man. And it makes sense, like. He he saw the jump from twenty two points his rookie year to twenty nine last year, and the guy's only getting better. You saw what he did in the bubble against the Clippers in that playoff series. Man was on like one leg and he was unstoppable. So I think you could easily see like a thirty point triple double from the guy. But I, I'm not I I'm not going to agree with you on it. I'm going to go. With a guy who's coming back, and we might have forgotten just how dynamic this guy is. I'm going to go Steph Curry, dude. The guy is electric basketball. And I think he can get it if the Warriors really succeed in the West without Clay. I know they have Wiggins and Oubre. In Wiseman and Draymond, which is a really solid starting five, but if he's throwing up thirty pieces nightly while giving you eight assists, like in the West, I and he gets you a top four seed. I I could really see the guy winning. Yeah, I mean that that pick with James Wiseman is super intriguing because that it. You know, we we know that it was the Splash Brothers and being able to space the floor and stuff. But he's just first of all, he was the best available, and I, I think trading down wasn't really going to help them at this point. But to get a guy that that solidified, and then even getting a backup guard in, in Nico Mannion, who you know going into that year, people had thought of him as a lottery pick or end of the first round guy. So I mean, listen, I mean Bob Myers is doing it again in terms of building that team back up with guys that are under the radar. A lot of people aren't thinking highly of them. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are not talking about the Warriors enough just because Clay is not going to be there and the team's going to be – we don't really know what the identity of the team's going to be. How many shots is Steph Curry going to throw up a night? But, I mean, with that said, there's going to be bad nights, but there's also going to be 50-point nights where the guy can't miss from half court and beyond. That's true. So, speaking of Wiseman, we'll go, we'll go to his class. Rookie of the year. Are you going to him? No, I think I got to go with LaMelo, dude. I mean, it's – it's the hype around him is is a lot for sure. And I think I think some people are critical just because of, you know, the way his, his brother was his rookie year. And it was it was underachieving and his, obviously his father. But watching those preseason games, like this guy is – has a knack, like a, a really great knack for finding people. Like, obviously, we said sort of the same thing about Lonzo, but I mean, he's just throwing, you know, the passes that he makes are, are the on the doing it like flashy and it's still like effective the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to a point where like you would say, like, all right, don't make the flashy pass, make the right pass, get the two, but he's like meshing that. He's making the flashy passes, still on the mark. He's throwing lobs like over his shoulder to miles bridges like based on the people around him and i mean when you put Devonte off the ball catch and shoot you got miles and pj down low like that he's got options that he can still get passes so i just think that 
he's going to get the Hornets toward toward the eighth seed. Not, not I don't know if they'll get the eighth seed, but he's going to bring them to a point where going into 21-22, there's going to be palpable buzz about the Hornets having a shot at returning the playoffs. I like I like the, the Lamelo option, but I'm gonna go. I think I'm just gonna go strictly based off opportunity alone, and I'm gonna go to Detroit. I'm gonna pick Killian Hayes out of Detroit. They're starting him from day one, letting Derrick Rose come off the bench and mentor the guy. And in Detroit, like, there's not much expectation. So, like, there is a legitimate chance Hayes can just put up these numbers that you weren't expecting because the shots are probably going to be there, especially on the perimeter. Because in the offseason, Detroit only signed power forwards and centers. They pulled the Knicks of the last summer. So, like... Like, who else is taking shots away from him on the perimeter besides Rose? Yeah, I mean, the ball's going to be in his hands a lot. And obviously, in terms of the record, it's not going to be great. But, yeah, like you said, it's – in a way, it's kind of just about the stats. And he's going to certainly have a lot of chances to pad stats – or not really pad stats, but just get stats in terms of, of scoring and assisting. So, yeah, I think it's it's an under-the-radar pick. Do you have an, any other under-the-radar guy? I mean, I'm trying to think who possibly could could. Not I got, really. I, I mean, got one. I got one. Well, let me hear yours then. I gotta go down to Orlando, dude. Cole Anthony, like he's another guy who's gonna get the opportunity to play right away, and he's impressed in the preseason so far. So I just think, like, if he continues to impress, like, Orlando's tasted the postseason before, and as we keep saying, the East is getting better. So they're not going to want to fall out of the playoffs. So I don't think they're going to hesitate to, like, throw him in as the starting point guard if he's the best option that they have. So I just think if that's the case, he's got guys around him, Vucevic, Aaron Gordon, Fournier, like, he can play around and play well enough where he could potentially be in the mix as well. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean that'd probably be my guy, but I don't really see anybody off the top of my head or think of anybody that would be sort of an under the radar kind of pick. Just because a lot of those guys that did fall fell to teams that are already pretty deep and are not gonna need him to do too much. So but Cole's probably the the, the best one. Yeah. All right, the one this one's like the most challenging to do. Most improved, like it's so tough to figure out because you don't know who the heck's going to improve. But if you had to give me your most improved player, who would it be? Oh, man. That is tough. Right? Because you just don't know like anyone can break out and just like continue that success for a year and you'll win most improved. Yeah, I mean, it, it – do you have one in mind? Yeah, I... I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first. I got, I got Lonnie Walker of the Spurs. I don't think they're going to be that good. And I, if they're really bad, which is a possibility, they trade DeRozan or Aldridge or both, and you – kind of saw the success that they had in the bubble without Aldridge where they wanted to get up and down the court, run. He's like the perfect guy for that, and he's going to start at the shooting guard position. So I think the shots could be there for the guy. And if he upticks his scoring to about 18 a night or so, like I think he's got a strong case. Or I could go with, like, in my opinion, the most obvious option where this guy's just going to be unleashed to the NBA and it's it's Shea. Like, there's a chance that Shea could throw up 26, 6, and 6 a night because he is the best and only player on the Thunder since they just traded away anyone who was, like, capable of playing basketball with him. That's fair. I'll, I'll, go, with, I'll go with one 
and probably not so much on stats, but because they could be a team that could sneak in the bottom of the West. I'm going to go with De'Aaron Fox because, I mean, 20 points. I just got paid. He dude just got his money. Went he averaged twenty one and just under seven a game, but you bump that up to maybe twenty three and eight, twenty three and nine, get them into the eight seed because they were dancing around there a little bit before the shutdown. I think that would that would consider him worthy enough to be in the conversation. Did you see the speaking of De'Aaron Fox? Did you see uh, the thing on ESPN a couple of days ago? I forget who said it. Um, but it was like one of the guys on the jump said that John ja Morant is is who people thought De'Aaron Fox was gonna be, and he like he like tweeted back at them and like said something. So like, hey, you could be right. The guy could be on a mission now. It just takes one thing like that to spark it, and you just take off from that. You just gotta take it personally. Yeah, I guess like Jordan says in in the Last Dance. Yeah, so I I think he could be one that that you know, like you said. I mean, it's tough to kind of gauge like who's going to do what this year. Um, but uh, especially this year, who knows? Yeah. So, but that would that would probably be one I could uh, I could see. All right. Uh, what am I missing? Coach of the year? Are you going Steve Nash? No, I I was like thinking of it. No, I'm going to go. Um, uh, I'm gonna go Lord Pierce. I think all aboard the Hawks. I'm just gonna kind of, you know, we don't really know where they're gonna finish, but I think if they have a good standing, he's certainly gonna be in the conversation because you can't really. I don't really know about like, you know, Boonholzer. I don't really think Doc Rivers is gonna do that good a job to get in that conversation. I mean, on the West side, I mean, depending what the Warriors could do, maybe you see Steve Kerr get votes, but I think the Hawks are in the like the right place where he could get it. I'm going to my boy. I'm picking Brad Stevens. I think, like, the guy is, like, viewed as one of the top coaches in the NBA, but has never got the love in that award. And this year now, Kemba's out for the first couple weeks. You lose Hayward. You don't know what you're going to get at center. You have no clue what the heck you're going to get off that bench. So in a year where they think that the Celtics are going to decline – and then they're going to end up being like the second seed in the Eastern Conference. I think it's the perfect chance for him to win. I agree. I think that's a and good idea. Depoy. Lastly, Depoy. Oh, man. I'm going to say LeBron James. Oh my God, LeBron! Yes. Explain. Well, I I just think the thing is, you know, it's just one of the things that everybody says, like, oh, he doesn't play defense and all that. But I mean, if you look at the numbers, like he does. Okay. I just I just think it's an I think it's it's unpopular. Yeah, it's certainly the road nobody travels, but I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, think, I mean, I am, in, I am in shock. I just, I that's that's, I guess that if you want to call that one my bold one, that'll be what it is. But <laughs> because, in in all honesty, most of the time, it's usually like a, there's usually like three players that get talked that that get themselves attached to the possibility of winning the award for that year every season. Yeah, there's like it's, three players, and it go and usually Bear, go Bear, Davis, and Giannis. It's about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean. You know, they say he's going to be resting a lot, but I'm going to go out on a limb. He's done it before. I think he could do it again. Damn. Damn. I would not put money on it, but that's just my bold prediction. <laughs> yeah, see, it's it's going to kill me to say this, but I'm going to say that I'm going to say that Ben Simmons wins defensive player of the year. Absolutely kills me to say it, but the guy is going to guard one through five. Regardless of who the best player is on the opposite side, he's going to take the, 
a chance with him. And he led the league in steals last year. He's going to be right up there again. So, I mean, when it comes to that, I think he's going to be right up there. But, hey, in all honesty, I mean, Marcus Smart should be up there every single year. And does he get the credit for it? No, it's tough for a guard to win. And, yes, Simmons is guard, forward, center, whatever the heck you want to call him. So, I think he's – they both are going to be right up there. And then, obviously, as I said before, those three big men are obviously right at the top as well. But let's get away from the individual team-based. If you had to give me the playoffs of the Eastern Conference – how, how would it shake out? Remember, you're picking 10 now because of the play-in tourney. 7, 8, 9, 10 are in the play-in tourney now. So oh, you get God. two extra spots. All right. I'm going to have to go with – I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I, I, no, I'll start. I think the Heat go one. Okay. Bucks two. Celtics three, Sixers four, Hawks five, uh, Pacers six. This kid said the Nets are really going to struggle. I don't know. I'll probably – no, I'll throw them higher. I'll throw – I'll put the Nets four. I still don't – I don't know. I – I just think the regular season is going to be filled with so much, like, chaos and, like, toxicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so starting back from the top, Heat 1, Bucks 2, Celtics 3, Nets 4. I'll go Sixers 5, Hawks 6, um, Pacers 7. Um, I'll say – I'm trying to think. Since we're doing 10, I'll, I, I'll put the Hornets at 10. I'll put them at the bottom. I, I have that too, yeah. Um, so I got to do 8 9. Um, I'll, I'll throw the Magic at, at 8. And then you got teams like uh, Wizards, Raptors, Bulls, uh, Knicks, no, not- Cavs. Like. I'll go – I'll throw – I'll throw the Wizards at nine. I love Russ and Beal, but, like, I don't know. I think they're bound for that playing game. Absolutely love the Russ and Beal tandem. I love it. I do, too, but I, I don't know. It, we haven't seen it work. So, going through it again, Heat one, Bucks two, Celtics three, Nets four, Sixers five, Hawks six. Um, who did I say for seven? I said Pacers. Pacers seven. The uh, Magic 8, Wizards 9, Hornets 10. Kid said Raptors. See ya. See ya. They got, like, I don't know, dude. I just, if you're guard driven in this league, especially guy guards that are on the smaller side, mm-mm. all right, I'm going to go Bucks 1, Celtics 2, Heat 3, Nets 4, Sixers 5. Wizards six, Raptors seven, Hawks eight, Pacers nine, Charlotte ten. And so, like, our biggest difference besides the Raptors would probably be the Wizards. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just – I love Beal. I love Russ. Meshing them together, I, I think they have, like, the opportunity to just take off. They, I know, I, I agree. I just – you just don't know what's around it, though. Like, like we've seen that, all right, if you get a strong backcourt, like, all right, that's great, but what else do you have? And they don't – they don't have – No, no, I understand, I understand what you mean. Like, you're banking on guys like Denny Avdia, who you drafted in a draft. You're banking on Rui Hachimura taking a step forward in year two. Thomas Bryant needs to take a step up. You have Bertans off the bench. Like, 
you got all these solid pieces, but you need one of them to really take that step forward and hope that they explode because you know what you're going to get out of them a night. Russ could potentially go back to the triple double ways and Beal is coming off averaging almost 31 a night. Yeah. But there's only one, the only thing is there's only one ball in the court at, the t- at a time. That's the thing. That's, if they can control that and find a nice balance, sure, they could be, they could be a six seed. But I just, you know. Uh, we'll, yeah, no, I, I, I see where you're coming from. But I'm just saying, like, before Wall was gone, Beal wasn't playing on the ball as much. And I think now he's kind of realized, like, okay – I've been to the Eastern Conference playoffs as a number two. And then he takes that leap to number one, but they kind of don't succeed. And he sat back from March until now without playing basketball. You get Russ. Russ says, I'll do whatever it takes to help out Bradley Beal. So I feel like Russ is kind of going to take that, not back seat, but he knows that like, Beal's the guy. This is his franchise. I kind of just came in here. Mm-hmm. So I think you're still going to get 28 a night from Beal, maybe a little more efficiently, and Russ is just going to give you Russ. The guy, the guy is just a freak on the court, like a freak. Nothing's stopping him. Yeah. So that's, that's why I'm throwing them up at the sixth spot. I think those two are just going to explode and cause havoc in the Eastern Conference, which means then that – so like. My playing tourney, I have the Raptors versus LaMelo and the Hornets and then Hawks and Pacers. Like, I'll watch those games. I got no problem there. All right. Western Conference. Oh, boy. You want me to go? Sure. I'm just staring at the, at the last years and just kind of trying to visualize <laughs> it. It's, it. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. All right, I'm going to go. I think the Lakers get the one seed again. Clippers two, Nuggets three. I think everyone kind of does that in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. But the Jazz at four, I mean, the probably in my opinion, yes, my Donovan Mitchell bias might come into it a little bit, but you don't hear anyone talk about them in the playoff or in the off season, and they didn't get worse. Bogdanovich comes back. You re-sign Derek Favors off the bench. You draft guys like Azabuki and Elijah Hughes. And then you re-sign Jordan Clarkson. You, you make all these like little signings that are just going to help the team. Plus, you got Mitchell in year four. Gobert's still there. Conley now has another year under his belt in that system. Like People are just going to sleep on them, and then they're going to wonder why they're the fourth seed in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. I'll put the Blazers at five, and then I'll put the Mavs at six. So then now to the playing tourney, Warriors at seven, Suns at eight, Houston at nine, and the Pelicans at ten. So you think the Grizzlies missed the playoffs? Grizzlies, Kings, yeah, all those guys. Interesting. All right. Hold on to your butts. Oh god. Oh boy. I you're right about the first three. I think I although I'll switch. I'll say Lakers one, Nuggets two, Clippers three. Uh-huh. Um, I'll throw Mavericks at four because I think Luca's gonna. You know, yeah, yeah. we had discussed Luka, it earlier. The Luka also, the Jazz. The Jazz will be at five. Blazers six. Okay. Now you got the play in. Mm-hmm. I'll throw the Suns at seven. The Pelicans at eight, Grizzlies nine, Timberwolves ten. I still think the Warriors missed the playoffs. Wow. Wow. I thought you were going to say the Kings because I thought you were going based off the De'Aaron Fox take, but dude, I was not expecting that. I mean, like, that's the thing, though, with, like, them adding those two spots, in, in, especially in the Western Conference – Besides probably the Thunder and the Spurs, if they implode, all those teams feel like they have a chance to get to the 10 seed. Yeah, so because the Warriors, like we had talked about, I just still think like 
they're missing pieces again. They could use this as one of two ways, kind of like a playing with house money or still like a let's re let's keep using the young guys. Don't wear Steph out. Kind of play it like that. The Kings, like I said, I think they have the possibility if De'Aaron Fox emerges as like the, you know, if he, if he plays like what he's making, I think there's a chance for that. But the Rockets, I think they're trading James Harden and it's going to be a complete teardown, which is why I don't have them in the playoffs at all. I think they're, they, they're going to start slow. All this, the, the news floating around it, I think it's just going to eat at them. New coach, new management. I think they're just going to be like, we got to get them out of here. Start fresh. Um, but, and then the Spurs, as we said, kind of just like a wishy-washy kind of team. We don't really know like what's going on, but I wanted to throw the Timberwolves in there because I really think that they, I, I even felt 10 was a little low, but I just didn't know where I could slot them or who I would move down because if Anthony Edwards puts in a, a semi-productive rookie season, you got him at the two with D'Lo and Cat, you know, uh, you know, Malik Beasley's kind of a nice option there. Josh Akogi. We still don't even know what Jared Culver does because they, you know, they don't really, we don't really know how they want to utilize them or stuff like that. So I don't know. I think they're on the come up, but I also just think that based on how they did last year, where they started so well and then literally imploded, I had to keep them at 10. I mean, no, it's Paul. Like, yeah, Cat and D'Lo could, could potentially be as lethal as like any duo when it comes to it so then before i before i get to one of your other points i just want to continue on with this um let's just keep it rolling eastern conference finals western conference finals go forward from there to the nba finals eastern conference finals i'll go i'll go celtics and heat again can we get a change in the winner or the heat going back? I'll say the Celtics in seven. I'll say it changes. I'll Let's say go! Let's go. And then on the other side, I mean, I think you got to go. I'll go bold a little bit. I say based, based on my prediction of the year of Luka, I say Lakers and Mavericks. Okay. But I'm still sticking with the Lakers, and I think the Lakers are going to win again. Like, they, like, I did not think it was possible for them to get better and still be financially okay with everything. I, that, all right, yes. Thank, thank God you brought that up. I, like, I do a lot of, like, research on the cap, like what's available, what's not, and I have no idea how you are able to sign Montrezl Harrell for $9 million how you're able to sign Marcus Saul for like $6 million. You trade for Schroeder for nothing. Danny Green, they wanted him out of there. You re-sign AD for $195 million, And then you just signed Kuzma yesterday for $40 million. You're also forgetting KCP. And KCP you bring back. How, like, and then you sign LeBron to the contract extension. Like, how is all of this possible? You have to be over the luxury tax at this point. I feel like there's got to be some kind of bird right thrown in there. Well, AD's bird right is there, yes. So that's pro so essentially what they did was I'm sure they had all these, these Well, yeah, no, no, no. So ready? I think I like that's why like I was like looking at it. That's why they pushed back the signing of AD. You sign all those guys and then you're able to go over to get him mm -hmm. afterwards. Yeah, so but yeah, I, I mean they they turned a bench that was that the highlight of it was you know, like Alex Caruso, like Bale McGee. Like you, you get Dennis Schroeder. You essentially flip Dennis Schroeder for Danny Green, which is, I mean, maybe the Lakers take on like two or three million of that. Which, like, once again, paying an extra two to three million for a guy like Dennis Schroeder, great yeah, actor. Guy should have won six man of the year. You have two out of the three six man of the year candidates now on your team. Yeah, you know, you get Montrez Harrell to literally walk to the other locker room in the Staples Center. So. There's those two. You get Marcus Saul. Literally, you could throw either Trez or Marcus Saul as your starting center compared to JaVale McGee, which is a significant. I love JaVale McGee, but production wise, talent wise, like Montrez still has a lot of potential. Marcus Saul is like the veteran leadership. Like, obviously, we know the Gasols and Lakers do pretty well together. Um, but like, 
that bench that bench unit is so much stronger now, which was the only which was the only thing that people use as a reason to pick against the Lakers. So they really have Wesley Matthews too. Another guy that just is kind of like a you know like a Danny Green, just like catch and shoot, doesn't need a whole lot, like just like an extra body that is like serviceable that you can throw out there. Then you still have Alex Caruso there, who we all know is you know great athlete and then a good shooter. Like that team is just so well rounded. So barring any injuries, this team is as complete as it can get. And like even a team like the Celtics or uh, or the Heat again, like they don't match up with them bench-wise. That's where they're going to win the championship. Obviously, you're going to have LeBron and AD, who it's two of the two of the at least top ten, maybe top five players in the league. And then you add on guys like a Schroeder, like a Montrez Harrell, like a Gasol, Wesley Matthews. Like, that team is just loaded. I, I think it'd be foolish to pick against them. Well, I mean, I have to pick against them. I'm not doing that. I'll say – Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics, and Nets. And then in the West, I'm going to say I got to go L.A. on L.A. Clippers, Lakers. And then it's – dude, I like – I need to pick – I want to pick the Clippers so bad against the Lakers. But as you said, it's kind of just like – they got so much better, and like they're just so deep now. I'll pay. I'll send the Lakers to the finals, and the Celtics, as you said. But I mean, I ain't picking against the hometown team. Raise banner eighteen, baby. I just think like, I don't know if the Celtics especially can use that trade exception, just because like the guy. It's like the thing that's like scary is, like, they have no one that can guard Anthony Davis. Like, you can throw bodies on LeBron, and, yeah, he's going to get his points. He's going to do everything he does. But who on that roster is guarding Anthony Davis? Like, that's the part that scares me. Mm -hmm. So I think if we use that exception and you go out and, like I said, get a guy like Clint Capella, Miles Turner, someone like that, then you got a chance, and then you just bank on the emergence again of Tatum hopefully ascending into a top 10 player in the league. Jalen Brown continues to get better. You manage Kemba throughout the year, get that knee right. Come playoff time, he's fully hooping, ready to go, and then you just have this absolute dog on the defensive end in Marcus Smart. Yeah. But I want to get back to your point. So you said you said Houston's imploding and Harden's gone. Gone to where? Because oh. I – I've been trying I, – I have no idea. Like, yes, it's James Harden. Yes, he's a top 10 player in the NBA. But, like, who wants to take on that drama, that play style, and the money that comes attached to it? There, I don't know who, but there's going to be some team that, depending where they are in the playoff race, middle of the pack, wherever – that they're gonna say, all right, screw it. We got two more years of this guy. Like we can, like we can build something around. It. There's gonna be a GM that is dumb enough to do that, and I don't. Oh, know do you, do you think? Do you think Daryl Morey does it now that he's in Philly and he says, all right, Ben Simmons, you can't shoot the ball, buddy. Let me go get a guy who is a sniper. That is certainly one of the options. I make it work. That is certainly one of the options that you know it makes the most sense just because Daryl Morey, his old GM, is there now, and you know. With with him going to Philly comes a new identity, and hmm, Ben Simmons can't really shoot, and I have the potential to package him with maybe a pick or two, and maybe another role player, and we can get somebody who can shoot pretty well and can handle the ball just like Ben Simmons can. Why not go for that? And next thing you know, the Sixers got James Harden, so that would probably be the front runner. But the Nets, no, they'd be too stupid to blow up what they have. Um, especially the fact that they haven't seen what they have at full strength yet. And this That's what I'm thinking too. Is like, yes, the Nets have all these like solid pieces, like Levert, Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, that you could send to Houston, which would be appealing. But you just haven't seen that roster play together with KD and Kyrie, and then all those nice role players as well. And then like, pe- like people are throwing out the idea of Miami. Like, why would you break up what you have? 
the one yeah. like the one that I saw yesterday that was really interesting, and I know we talked about this team a decent amount today, is Toronto. Because it's like they don't want to fall into that mediocrity stage. So why not bring Buzz back like you did with Kawhi? You go get a James Harden type. And I don't know what Houston would be interested in because they just signed Van Fleet. Probably Siakam. I don't know if they'd want to give him up. But, like, it's an interesting location. And, like, people have even floated around, like, the Celtics. But they're not giving up Tatum. Damn damn well not giving up Tatum and not Brown either. Yeah, I th- that team. Yeah, that's one of the teams that you're not you're not gonna blow up. Um, but yeah, I think those, you know, the Raptors is interesting. I think if they want to really give up a lot and, you know, but they really don't have any other player to package with them. Maybe like OG and Anobi, but like, yeah, is like I don't I don't like the Sixers to me is the only one that makes sense because you package Simmons, throw in a couple picks, and then. To make the money work, you only need to throw in like one or two more guys. So like you probably throw in a a Mike Scott and like Terrence Ferguson with some picks along with Simmons and it and it works. And the Rockets point of view is okay, we're getting off this guy. We're getting a young guy who could potentially be a star in this league and has plenty of defensive versatility. We're getting another athletic guy in Ferguson and a veteran Scott who will be here or not. We might cut him and we're getting a couple picks. And Philly's yeah. looking at it like, all right, let's go win with Embiid and Harden. It's, it's gotta be the right package. That's kind of how it is. And I, Oh yeah. I don't think Houston's going to sell short on anything. Like they have all the leverage in the world until, unless Harden stops like showing up the basketball games. Yeah, I mean, it all depends on on what it, what the what it, everything looks like. Um, so we'll have to see, though. I think it's going to be something that's going to be so fluid over over the course of the season that you're not going to really be able to not worry about it because it's always going to be there. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, you're you're totally right. Until something happens, then you don't know. All right, before we wrap, you gotta give me you gotta give me one bold take. And I know LeBron winning Defensive Player of the Year, but give me something else. Um, I'm trying to think of a bold take. I know it's tough. I'm struggling too. I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, I'll go. I'll go bold. Um, you know, so I had, I had the Pelicans as the eight C. I think I did in my in my thing. Mm-hmm. I bet they they start off something like. I don't know. Fifteen and five, or like ten and three, or something, and then just hit a wall. And then the hype's going to be high, high, high. Can they compete with the Lakers? And then they're going to hit a wall. I, because I love the talent that they have, but I think they're going to come out a bunch of young guys, energetic, haven't played in a while. They're going to come out guns a blazing. Um, a lot of other teams who are maybe older and a little bit smarter are going to kind of cut back a little. They're going to jump out to this. It's it's like the rabbit in the hair. Rubber in the hair, turtle in the hair. Yep. Where they're going to run out ahead. They're going to be have the best record in the NBA through ten games or whatever. People are going to be like, "Oh, look at the Pelicans. Are is it, are they for real?" And then they're going to hit kind of that wall. And all these other teams that are kind of taking it slowly are going to jump them, and they're going to be toward the bottom of the Western Conference playoff picture. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on the individual side of this. And I'm going to say Jason Tatum's a top five MVP candidate. It's not really bold, though. What do you mean? There's so many options. All right. I guess that's fair. I, I, don't, I just think, like, in this time right now, especially at the beginning of the season, like, with Kemba out, I think the Celtics – I, they might struggle out of the gate a little bit just because, like we said, the short layoff for them, missing a few guys. Like, I think it's kind of just going to be one of those things where he just, like, puts them on his back and he, they, they ride him for, like, a month or two. And he has that month that he had in February last year where he absolutely took the league by storm, was putting up 30 a night. I think 
he's going to do that right away. And then it's, and then he's kind of just going to be like cruising a little bit there at this, in the middle point of the season. And then the numbers he accumulates throughout the entirety of the year gets him right around that five range. Cause like, as you said, you got guys like Luca, guys like LeBron and AD Giannis Curry. Why, why can't we throw him in there? Go ahead. Do your thing, kid. You just got paid. That's fair. And then let's let's finish it off. Give me Christmas is this week. Give me your predictions for the five games. Oh, I don't know. Let me look. I gotta look up the. Uh... All right. So we got look, Pelicans Heat first. Oh man. I'm going to say the Pelicans win that one. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I had to. If I'm going with my bold prediction. I'll take, Warriors, I'll, I'll take the heat. Warriors, Bucks. I'll say the Bucks. Same. Nets, Celtics. Seize up, kid. Ah, man. I mean, I know it, Friday night the preseason game wasn't promising, but seize up, kid. I'll say they. I'll say the Nets start off with a uh, with a shocking win. <laughs> okay, I don't know. If Mavericks, right Mavericks here, Lakers but... is going to be tough. Oh man, I'm going to say Mavericks because the Lakers are going to slow out the gate. Okay, uh, that's that's definitely possible. Like you don't even know how much LeBron's going to play at the beginning of the year. That's what I'm thinking. LeBron maybe yeah. plays like something like 25 minutes or something. Doesn't get a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers Nuggets. I it's in Denver, so I got to go with the Nuggets. Yeah, I'll take the Nuggets too, and I'm just gonna take the Lakers because it's Christmas Day, and like I think LeBron's definitely gonna play a lot, like in that game, especially because it's national TV and everything. But like I, that would be the most like the game I would not be surprised if like Luca and the Mavs just took off on them. That's fair, but. That's all we got for episode five. We'll be back next week prior to the start of the college football playoff to talk about the four teams that came out yesterday. And I know everyone's kind of got an opinion on that, who should be four and whatnot. So we'll give you that and we'll let it kind of simmer for a week and then we'll get our opinions out on that. But hey, enjoy the holidays, my friend. You too, brother.